Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast, where we discuss films from every genre. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. Welcome listeners to the first installment in our Damien Chazelle retrospective series leading up to the November release of his newest feature film, First Man, starring Ryan Gosling. Today we will be discussing Guy and Madeline on a park bench. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan from Chicago. Uh, now, okay, he only has three properties, and this is the only one that I haven't seen, so I guess it really isn't that hard, uh, that hard to find all this stuff. Uh, but this is the one I was very excited to look at because I haven't seen it, and from what I've heard, it's definitely been the thing that has influenced his later films. I had never even heard of this movie. I had completely forgot Chazelle had any connection to the movie Whiplash, Anyway, all I definitively knew was he was this wonderkind who created La La Land, which has is tied, I believe, for the most Oscar nominations ever. Regardless, he's yeah, a it's direct- like one of the four that's gotten fourteen nominations uh, at the Oscars. Yeah, ever. It's incredibly impressive. So clearly, he is an up and coming director to watch. So that's why we wanted to get in right now and do a retrospective before his new movie, First Man. And I we, we have to start with Guy and Madeline because, yes, this is his first uh, directorial debut, his first uh, written feature film. I hadn't heard of it. Alan set this up. He's the one that knows more about this movie than I do. Yeah, this was uh, this was a movie. Okay, so... He- it's going to be kind of hard to find this one on disc. It's going to be better found uh, if you buy it off of, if you purchase it or rent it off of digital. I went through this thing called Mubi, which has it um, on there for the streaming site and a bunch of other indie films. So that's where I was able to find it. And I believe it's, I'm sure, I think it's where you got it. It's probably Netflix. Uh, the DVD service is on there. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. So anyways, yes. Now, Damien Chazelle is not anybody new to me. Uh, I've expressed, I think I maybe even expressed it in the, when we briefly talked about La La Land in our Oscar discussion, that I've known Damien Chazelle for quite a while. In fact, Whiplash was my first introduction to him. And technically his first theatrically, rele- theatrically uh, wide release film. This one had a limited release, uh, but was only was mainly showed off at film festivals. So anyways... Getting into some background info here. Today, Damien Chazelle is known for his music-heavy films like Whiplash, like I mentioned, and La La Land, uh, both of which have, na- have landed him numerous Oscars, La La Land being the one that really set in stone that he is a pretty competent director, to say the least. But before either of those, Chazelle, and Guy- Chazelle, eh, Chazelle made Guy and Madeline on a park bench in 2009. It shot in black and white on 16mm film in a 4x3 aspect ratio and was debuted at the Drebeka the Tribeca Film Festival, it went on to screen at AFI Fest the same year and plenty other f- festivals, not in, lim- not including but not limited to stars Denver Festival, Mill Valley Film Festival, and the Chicago International Movies and Music Festival, where it won an award for Best Fiction, film- Best Fiction Feature. And now, in order for him to finish this project, he had to leave his studies at Harvard for a brief moment because it was going to be his thesis. And so he ended up having to leave and finish it. Um, But he directed, edited, and wrote this movie, oh, and shot this movie all by himself. This is what you would consider to be a passion project of his to finish, which 
we'll get into, uh, and it's very, I would say it's very pretty evident in this movie that it was his hands and everything. Now, the music was once again, or I guess not once again, but composed by Justin Hurwitz, who comes back in Whiplash and in La La Land to do the music there. And for the most part, the all the jazz sections of this of this movie were all performed live versus some of the score was performed by the Bratis, Brat, Bratisalka Symphony Orchestra. Um and the the actor who played Guy, who was actually his name is Jason Palmer, and he was named one of the top twenty five trumpeters of the future by Downbeat Magazine in two thousand seven. So, if anything is evident from just the background info, it's clearly just a passion project. There wasn't much money in terms of budget for this. It's pretty much just a student film all the way around. But it is still very interesting to see a man who has a clear passion for both film and music to bring those two worlds together to craft the story. Yeah, that is quite fascinating that he left Harvard School to do this movie. I had no idea he was still in school during this. And um, do we know, does he play these uh, instruments? Like the trumpet? Uh, I don't know what all he can play. But once again, every basically every jazz number that is looks like it's that is being played is actually played live. That's yeah. but in terms of him playing an instrument, I don't have any information about that. Yeah, it is unique to have a live playing. Uh, even when you see people sing in movies, usually that is not them singing during the movie it is recorded later on right and uh laid over the soundtrack just to make it all sound nice and i mean that's quite a demand to have somebody sing on the spot and make it sound very nice and uh ready for uh you know performance ready i could definitely tell this guy was playing the trumpet for real uh the main character here uh, but I will say definitely kudos to Chazelle for i mean that's incredibly impressive to just have the motivation and drive to do all of this yourself, and you can definitely see his passion coming through. Now, he did have some uh, people to help him out here. It's not like it was 100% um, independent on his own. Uh, probably most likely when it came to getting it screened. Right. Uh, we both just learned right before the recording that if you watch the trailer, it says Stanley Tucci Presents which is interesting. Stanley Tucci is a very famous actor. I also noticed in the thanks on IMDb that uh, John Lithgow was credited. So John Lithgow and Stanley Tucci had some role in kind of helping Chazelle here. So that's very interesting. Right. And now, and that was probably to help him uh, get, uh, maybe just advice as getting his movie out there or creating the movie. It could be a number of things because they are only given a thanks, which is probably due to maybe just some advice that they were giving or something along those lines. They are not necessarily producers. But when it comes to budget of this, it was roughly 60000 which is pretty typical for an indie film of this kind. Although it almost looks like, at times, it feels like it had a much bigger budget. And at times, I would even say that it looks like it's right on the mark. But for a film to get such recognition by a completely in by a director that we've that is just fresh technically fresh out of college and getting this kind of recognition for his film is pretty admirable to say the least. It is definitely admirable for a first endeavor because most people's 
first uh, feature debuts don't get this type of recognition at festivals. Now, some do, of course, uh, but most people don't get this type of uh, recognition or get to put their film out in uh, so many different festivals and get so much acclaim. So, yeah, it is a a very commendable uh, first attempt to begin with. And uh, you can see a lot of what he loves come out in this movie and come out in later movies. And uh, he is able to improve his craft each time. We'll talk about it in those movies. I'm not going to start talking about that here. But uh, yeah, very impressive. And especially the score for this movie. Yeah. And once again, Justin Hurwitz, uh, he did the score he composed it and he once again he will go on to compose every other Damien Chazelle movie I think I don't know if First Man is composed by him uh although it wouldn't surprise me if it is once again we'll get there when we get there so yeah being a first-time director very impressive it's very interesting to see someone's dream kind of come to the big screen and then him gets to live out his dream when he gets hops on with Blumhouse to do Whiplash and then gets an even bigger budget for a La La Land. It's one of those, it's it's a story that's just kind of inspiring to see because this man is so influenced and has a passion for filmmaking and music that he has found a way to engrave himself into our culture and take two of these types of entertainment and art and put them together in such a unique way that no, really you really don't see very often or we have yet to see in uh, at least his modern age. What year did this come out? This was 2009. Okay. So he's made roughly uh, four movies within nine years. That's pretty good, especially considering the caliber of work that he's invested in each of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very impressive that he was able to get to where he's at now with technically one, two movies. This one and Whiplash were the ones who, that especially Whiplash, they definitely engraved him into being one of the guys you should probably look out for when it comes to a new film. So are we ready to jump into the plot? Yeah, I'd say let's do it. Okay. Uh, listeners, before we jump into the plot, though, be warned, we are going to talk about spoilers for this movie. So if you would like to see Chazelle's first directorial outing, spoiler free, you don't want to know anything about it, then uh, go ahead and click pause right now. Like I said, you can get it through Netflix DVD, or I believe it is available for, is it available to rent streaming? Well, you can watch it through a subscription on uh on Amazon Prime, I think it used you used to be able to watch it, but now you had to have a subscription. Once again, I watched it through this this uh, thing called Mubi, which has a bunch of indie films on it. But it's going to be a little bit difficult to get your hands on. But I, I do believe you can probably get it through iTunes as well, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. So you can. There are some free options available, like Alan used in order to watch this movie. So with a little bit of research that we have provided for you just type this into your web browser you'll be able to find it so go ahead and uh, click pause go watch the movie come back and click play and we'll be ready to talk about it yep so the plot uh so guy and madeline have been dating for about three months now guy he plays the trumpet in a jazz group and madeline is just trying to survive and to find work well 
through these three months, their love has began to fade. And as the opening credits signify, they break up in this montage. And then it comes back a little bit later once we go back in time. But before that happens, Guy meets another girl named named Elena on a subway. And they kind of immediately hit it off. And um, this is not to be confused with Madeline because they both have the same color of hair. Anyways, unfortunately, Elena isn't really showing much interest in music, She, which is a serious issue for uh, for Guy, and he kind of ends up going back to Madeline to find the spark that was once there. Well, Madeline moved herself to New York to start a new life, and upon doing this, she tries a few new things, tries to even pick up the drums, and even meets a guy named Paul, who kind of inspires her to do some more with her life. And... She and he, upon meeting Paul, he introduces her to a, to his daughter. It is kind of an odd scene. We'll talk about it, but but she just feels some kind of connection with with Paul and at least his home life. Anyways, so Guy heads back to uh, goes to her parents' house, Madeline's parents' house, and asks where she's at. And they say they don't really know where she went to. She just went to New York, and so he heads to New York. Now, to be fair, this is also set in Boston. Uh, so it's like not terribly far. Anyways, so before Guy can catch up with Madeline, their her parents catch up with her and tell her that oh yeah, Guy's been kind of looking for you, wondering where you're at, and this kind of rubs her in a kind of odd way. But she ends up singing about it in the restaurant in this one musical number that she has. Anyways, a bit later the next day, or at least I think it's the next day, she quits her job that she works there in the restaurant and heads home only to run into Guy on the way there. And they get to talking and they go back to her, her apartment and he says, can I play you a song? It's something that I kind of wrote for you. And then the last thing we ever see is him playing the song that goes on for quite a while. And then just them two looking at each other and the movie ends, leaving this question of, are they going to get back together or should they remain apart uh, and live their lives separately? And that's it. It sounds a little complex i think that sounds a little more complex than it truly is though would you agree yeah yeah it's i will give it this the editing i don't think it's necessarily bad but it does make the story a bit more a bit harder to follow i think once again that's also kind of an issue when it comes to the hair color of the two girls they're the same hair color it it looks like that in black and white so it's kind of hard to figure out who's who, which girl is this, and what part of the timeline are we at? But I would say upon a rewatch, it makes this a bit easier to follow uh, in terms of figuring out where you are in the timeline and where you are in the story. But yeah, yeah. it is a bit confusing. I would agree. Uh, my first, So my first feelings, before I address what Alan just said, my first feelings are positive. First of all, I'm surprised it's in black and white. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very old-timey. Uh, the music is incredible. Shooting it in 4.3 was a unique choice. I thought it was probably a good choice. It does go along with that black and white quite well. I will say sometimes it feels like a documentary with how it's shot. And I will say at times the camera does feel a bit uh, amateur how uh, things are presented. Yeah, that's very true. 
Now, I will say that this, the feeling that Chazelle was going for is a home video set in probably the 70s-ish, but really going for that more of uh, whenever jazz was big, that kind of an era. He's kind of going for that, but at the same time trying to keep it modern, at the same time trying to make it look like a home video slash documentary, I would more skew towards the home video side because there are a lot of amateur things happening here. For better or for worse, they they kind of serve to help reincorporate what the movie was going for, but at the same time also serve to kind of take away from what the movie was going for because it is that amateur. That being said, I think that without this amateur-like aesthetic and without this home video-like aesthetic, I don't think this movie would have worked nearly as well as it does. But that is something that we ha- I do have to criticize is that although it does look, for the most part, does look good on 16mm and shot completely handheld on the cheap as much as Giselle can and at times it really works well there are times where it kind of shows it's it's it kind of shows why uh low budget films like this don't always work especially with one scene when uh Madeline is told to take out the trash from her job it is not great yeah I feel there is it is it is inconsistent I don't know why it is because sometimes it legitimately looks like something lifted from the 60s or 70s, but shot in black and white. Right. And that's very impressive right. how he was able to recapture that, most likely because it is shot on film. But even the style of filmmaking, how there's kind of these like uh, close-up zooms and they kind of have to focus or you can just tell by the handheld quality. I don't really have an issue with that. But what I do have kind of an issue with, and I don't really understand the inconsistency, is sometimes it does feel, you you realize you are watching a movie, and it does take you out of it, or it almost feels like it was recolored in black and white in certain scenes, and how certain lines are delivered will make you realize the uh, kind of amateur of the actors and people involved. It it's a little strange because yeah that scene where she's taking out the trash maybe a scene where she is sitting on a park bench some of that more professional quality disappears and I don't know why but there is some of those uh, kind of inconsistencies there right yeah that that is once again this is something that it, it kind of goes with and also goes against what he's going for Unfortunately, that's just the state of the movie. I think that is A, due to lack of experience or B, due to lack of a budget or many different factors that could have gone into why this movie is the way that it is. Once again, some of this really works. Some of the style really does work. And I think that without it, it wouldn't work nearly as well as it does right now. But that being said, there is definitely and there is definitely something to notice and something to take issue with. That being the aesthetic is not what you would consider to be I would I, not what I would consider to be necessarily professional yet there are some things I think that are and there are some things that I would think that kind of pull away from that before we get too far I don't want us to forget to give our thoughts on the trailer because I watched the trailer after the fact I went into this movie 100% blind I had no idea what to expect that's why I was surprised it was in black and white and the trailer makes this movie out to be this incredible indie masterpiece. And of course the trailer is going to talk itself up. It's not going to put up mediocre reviews or anything. Right. But the way it does talk itself up is B 
big time. And of course, that's what they want to do. I'm not trying to criticize that. I'm just stating the fact that this movie, as presented in the trailer, is really big. It's this uh, indie hit masterpiece by first-time director. It's charming, enchanting, wonderful. If I saw this trailer, I would be incredibly intrigued to see this movie. Yeah, and I would be too. And I think that for the most part, it captures a lot of what the movie's going for. This very, a lot of swing jazz, kind of celebrating life and celebrating especially jazz music in general and how it's more or less considered to be the universal language of music and all sorts of stuff like that. I think this trailer, for the most part, is pretty much, it's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, it's it also kind of, goes to show that there are moments in this movie where it's not like that. And there are also a lot of slow moments in this movie that it, it A, needs to have, and B, are not necessarily represented in the trailer. The trailer feels more like, a, in my mind, more like a teaser than anything else, uh, because there is a, it does play a lot of jazz music that is in the movie, and does show a lot of, of instruments being played, and there's definitely that idea of there being a relationship involved, but it doesn't give a lot away as to what the plot actually is here. And that's kind of one of the good things about it is that it doesn't give much away as to what's going, what it's supposed to be or what it's going to be. But at the same time, it does, yeah, kind of play itself up uh, a bit more than probably what it ends up being. But that being said, I still think that it is overall a fine trailer. I completely agree with Alan. It is a very fine trailer. And I guess my only issue with it is... It insinuates there is going to be more meat to this movie than I feel like there ends up being. Don't get me wrong, there is meat in this movie, but what the trailer depicts, I feel it's a bit of false advertising. But that's what this review is about. We're going to get into that. That's just my feeling from I watched the movie, then I went and rewatched the trailer, and trailer hypes it up quite a bit. Right, but right. to address the first thing Alan was saying, uh, I was very confused when this movie began. I'm trying to decipher. I'm saying, and wait a minute. They so Guy and Madeline they knew each other, but they don't know each other. I they're they're meeting on the subway, but they act like they don't know each other. And then uh, Madeline Madeline is asking out a tr uh, this trumpet player on the street. Uh, or whoever that guy was, and her name is also Sonda, and I'm lost until finally I figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, so my thought process goes, Guy and Madeline sat on a park bench, got up and left, she looked sad, so let me get this straight. He was with her, he met this girl on a train, they, he, they had sexual relations before breaking up with Madeline and then he broke up with Madeline so now he's with Elena I don't know if the sexual relations are implied but nevertheless he is in her bed he's clothed and she is putting cl clothes back on and it's all quite confusing and rushed right well they they do explain at one point he asks have you slept with her yet uh that's really the only time that that's ever really brought up and then reinforced actually maybe a little bit earlier or later it's reinforced again when we do see them in bed together. But yeah, you're pretty much correct. They, uh, He meets this girl, Elena, on the subway. But after soon after that, they break up, probably because of Elena. But we don't get 
a, a definitive answer. It could also be that their love has just kind of, it's not really there anymore. And so he becomes, so he gets with Elena, but then he misses that part of Madeline that was very musically uh, inclined, which is what he is. He's very musically inclined, and Elena kind of gets a bit short with him when it comes to him playing the trumpet. And at one point in the movie, he like blasts in her ear and all sorts of stuff. And he wants to go back to Madeline. But yes, it is a bit confusing, like I mentioned, that keeping together where we are in the timeline, because it is, it starts, when the movie begins, we're, it's a montage of their relationship and then them breaking up. And it goes back in time to before they broke up and then moves itself forward to when they broke up and then continues on from from after that. It's unnecessarily confusing, I feel. Yeah, I, I can see why you think that. I would say that upon repeat viewings, it's going to make it a bit easier to follow uh, than anything. It's more or less just setting up where Madeline and Guy are at, what, what, how they got together and why are they together, and how their relationship more or less decays or becomes not as much, as not as enthused as it used to be. And then him, and I guess both of them moving on to something, that, something else, and then realizing that they kind of want each other because they can do, because they are so similar or have similar passions in terms of music and things like that there at the very end. I do feel that Chazelle isn't going to He's not going to tell us any of this. He's going to show us this, but I feel like I have to do a little extra work in order to understand the point he's getting across of their similar interests, even of their breakup and why they want to get back together. I feel like some of it is a bit too ambiguous where he could have maybe just wrote in a few extra lines of their relationship instead of it just being like, okay, why are they together why are they apart? I think I just have to do a little more work than is necessary in order to put the pieces of the story together. Now, maybe you don't agree. Right. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I, I do f understand where you're getting at. And I think that, that part of that is definitely true for me as well. But this movie is pretty visually narrative heavy. It really tells a lot of the story through its visuals. Yes, the dialogue is important when it's there. But for the most part, everything you have to kind of piece together through the visuals and what the characters are feeling by the way that it's expressing this. This is very much an expressionistic kind of a movie, more so than what you typically see. That being said, once again, the issue becomes discerning which scene that we're in and which girl that we're with. That's my biggest issue, is trying to figure out who are we with here and at what point in the timeline are we. That's, the I think, the biggest obstacle to finding out, figuring out this movie. Once again, upon repeat viewings, it's going to be a bit, it's going to be easier to figure out where we are and at what point in the movie we're at and how it connects to everything else in the movie. But upon a first watching, it is going to be a bit hard to discern where exactly this is all at. Yeah, it's about, I would say, the first 10 to 15 minutes, you're kind of a little bit lost wondering where we're going with this. Yeah. I, yeah. it's This is not a... Uh, premonition type of movie where one day Sandra Bullock's with her husband, the next day she's not, where right. it's not cut that way throughout the entirety of the movie. I would say it's mostly just here in the beginning. It takes, you kind of have to weed out what is going on here. Uh, but then I'm immediately drawn to the camera work and lots of close-ups. Yes. And extreme, this is what you consider to be a, an extreme close-up. Because it's really just the chin up to about the top of the forehead. Yes. That's an extreme close-up. That's a lot of this movie. It is. And towards the beginning here, especially when Guy and Elena are in the subway, 
the sexual but the sexual tension between them standing so close after a mm-hmm. while it really makes me uncomfortable because the scene goes on for so long and then these handled close-ups extreme close-ups make me claustrophobic right and the, this scene i think it was for me it was fine up until the part when she touched his hand and then put her fingers in his pocket yeah. that's i think where it kind of got a little bit weird but once again this is a very visual story and even though yes it is kind of outside of the realm of reality maybe it does signify what it's trying to signify which is that they like they more or less love at first glance for them and so it, they're falling in love by just by noticing one another. That's what it's going for. Once again, it does get a little bit weird there towards the end, uh, especially from a visual standpoint. And if, if you're looking at it from a more literal standpoint, then it's, I can see where it gets really weird, especially when that happens. Okay, so I don't mean to be a negative Nelly here, but 17 minutes in and I'm not hooked. I am going to be honest with you. I was kind of hooked, but I was very skeptical at this point in the movie because I was just more or less just confused at first. So it was harder for me to get into it because I was that confused, but I was interested to see where it was going because the style of this is very interesting to me. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if I can say if I was interested to see where it was going, but we'll get there with eventually what I I thought of it. Um, we get an elongated tap dancing scene. I'm really glad these people brought their dancing shoes to the party uh, to have a fun time. I, I Don't get me wrong, it's a fun scene, but it just kind of comes out of nowhere, I thought. Well, to be fair, they are recording for an album. Are they and really? they recorded a couple of... Th- yeah, they, re- they after this scene is over, they have a, a few lines of dialogue where they're just like, well, I kind of felt like I was doing this or that. I was engaging with the crowd. Yeah, they were recording for uh, they were recording for an album. You can see that with the microphones and how our main man is around the corner in a room that has padding around it. That's what they're going for is a recording more for an album in this scene. And then they also have shown this happening one other time before this. That's more or less what's happening here. I think this is, and if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, this is also Madeline. Yeah, it would have been Madeline because she does do tap dancing later on in the movie. That's doing the tap dancing here and then having the tap dance off here in the middle and stuff like that. I will give you this. It is a bit random to come up, but being that it is set up that they do record albums, it makes a bit more sense for me at least. Well, I don't I don't believe Madeline is in the scene. It's just, it's a blonde woman that was sitting on the piano and starts tap dancing. Yeah, you're right. I got it wrong. Well, anyway, it is blonde. I was quite confused because I thought they were just at a party because they are just chatting and having drinks and then all of a sudden right. the guy is sitting down, he stands up and starts singing and they have just other people in there kind of watching the recording session, I guess. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. Now that you draw my attention to, well, the recording equipment and the setup, I can see it's a recording scene. I just, I was very confused because I thought it was a party that just turned into a fun time of tap dancing. Right. And we do cut to right after this, Madeline, uh, walking down the road. And the the theme here is just very beautiful. It, it reminds me of a dreamy, wistful, misty night along the waterfront in Paris and it does remind me a bit of uh, Danny Elfman's score in The Nightmare Before Christmas, especially Sally's theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely has an aesthetic similar to that. And although, and I do, I do kind of want to talk about the music here in a second, but this scene specifically, I think, is where I was a bit drawn out. I don't think that Madeline is the best singer 
Uh, yeah, I agree. She's a bit, she's pretty soft with her voice and doesn't really have much of a dynamic range for the songs that she's given. Perhaps this isn't a stylistic choice. Either way, I don't necessarily like it that much. Don't get me wrong, the score is fantastic and the song is great, but at the same time, it feels like maybe there could have been a better singer or a better way of going about how she sings this scene. That's one of my bigger issues with just, I guess, Madeline's character in general, because she has two musical numbers in this, in this whole movie and both of them are pretty similar in terms of how she sings that being very soft and not very, uh, not very strong in terms of presenting her voice. Yeah. She doesn't uh, exude a lot of confidence while singing. Yeah. I feel like she isn't completely into this song number and, if we're going to buy this as a musical, then they got to sell us on it. And I'm sure this just comes from Chazelle being a first-time director, probably not mm-hmm. really sure how to uh, bring that out of the actress who plays uh, Madeline. And uh, I'm sure she's pretty new to acting as well. I, I feel everybody is. And so, yeah, I do wish I could have heard her words a lot better. And I think that also is due, like you said, her soft voice. That's definitely it. I also think right. probably the recording equipment they were using. Um, it's it's all very first time with everything. How do we mix this ride and make sure the uh, you know levels are equalized between the music and the vocals? But yeah, I, I can definitely see what you're saying. One of the other things that I'm kind of struggling with is how dialogue is presented in this movie. I don't like it. I don't like how uh, it's a lot of standing there, looking at people, looking down. A lot of yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so sure, what what are you doing? I feel like they're trying to go for maybe a more of a realistic approach to how people really talk and not really go on script. Maybe go a bit off script, give more genuine reactions that are more lingering. Because sometimes in movies, people respond so easily. It nobody responds that easily in real life usually. I can see what they're doing here. I just don't find it to be very engaging, though. Right. Yeah, some of the dialogue, I will agree, is not terribly engaging. Uh, But yeah, they are kind of going for, once again, that home video-like aesthetic. And conversations kind of are more sectionalized than what a conversation in a regular movie would be. Uh, For the most part, it didn't bother me. There are definitely a few scenes where I'm just like... Okay, you, can we do something, spice it up a little bit? But for the most part, it didn't really bother me. I think part of that is because I am used to indie films being pretty seldom with their language, taking a lot of time between dialogue cues to flesh out the characters or the emotion of the scene. That's kind of what's happening. That's kind of is kind of is what is happening here, uh, but to a much lesser degree than maybe films like uh, a good one. To, a good example of this would probably be an indie film called Elena, where that is definitely a thing where dialogue is kind of here and there, and the emotion of how what's crafted in the scene with the actors is what's more important, and what is trying to also trying to get across as well. Probably similar to what's happening here, uh, but it is there, and there are times where I don't think it's very good either. Yeah, I. I mean, I guess it can it can work where it is mm. structured like this where. The dialogue is seldom, they're more focusing on building scenes and just characters living within this world. I think there is always a possibility that can come across as pretentious where they feel they don't need dialogue in order to build characters. They need just their raw 
emotions of the actors and how they interact with scenes. And it's definitely more of this introspective type of acting where, yeah, they don't always interact with each other. It's more so how are they feeling at the time about the other person or the situation? And that's conveyed through silence and long looks and things like that. It, that doesn't really work for me. I'm sure it can work in other movies. I can't think of any movie where that works just right here off the top of my head. But right now, it's not working for me in this movie. Sure, there's some scenes right. with dialogue that does, but I'm just not a fan in general of this handheld camera where it's trying to be very much grounded in reality where people are the camera is a little shaky and the person's looking around and they're unsure and it mostly just feels like a documentary to me. Yeah, I honestly do feel pretty opposite to what you do because I really enjoy movies that take their time to build to build emotion by using no dialogue and do it solely through the visuals. I'm a very visual person when it comes to film, which is what I really appreciated about this one is that it is very visual. The dialogue, although important, is kind of in the background compared to the visuals here. Uh, I, there are a lot of movies. I would say one of them, Krisha, is one that is very, although very still di still pretty dialogue heavy, also uses the quietness and the emotion of the scene and the actors to portray a lot of emotions that our main character is feeling. Kind of the same thing here. I would say, once again, not to a great effect, but it is there, and I do appreciate what Chazelle is going for. And I really enjoy that because I, at times I feel like we are kind of spoiled by dialogue because movies are not necessarily dialogue-driven. That's an audiobook or a podcast. What movies are is they are a very visual medium, and that's where movies like Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench really portray the emotion of the scene is by expressing more visual story or more visual cues to emotion or to signify different things happening later or, we all, or before in the story or character traits that mediums like an audiobook or a podcast can't necessarily do to that, to that same effect that film can, which is why I really appreciate that being said, it's not fantastic. It's, there but it's not like the greatest or ingenious or anything like that it's not super creative with how it does that but it does get the point across which is where i'm which is where i'm at which is why i really enjoy what i'm seeing but still noticing and understanding that it is still very amateur and that being with the camera work and being with some of the recording of how it was recorded things like that Right, and I agree with you about film being a visual medium and they shouldn't just completely rely on dialogue. I just feel like this movie isn't successful with and maybe it's maybe it's not Chazelle's fault how he is shooting it, although I feel like the quick cuts back and forth just between people's expressions doesn't do much for me. I just feel like the actors aren't giving me anything substantial to latch onto here or make me draw me into their scene and make me feel that way. I did think of two examples while you were talking of movies that aren't very dialogue heavy but do draw you in without talking very much. Uh, the first one is A Ghost Story. Oh, yes. That's a very good example of one. And the other one is... For the most part. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, except for that unnecessarily dialogue-heavy scene right there in the middle of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. And the other one that I was thinking of, um, maybe... I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but Melancholia doesn't have a lot of dialogue. But I will say it conveys these feelings of despair and depression fairly well without um, 
saying much and i think the visuals are fantastic in that movie it's also aided by a dynamic score so those are my two examples that i can latch on to that i feel do a better job of conveying you know little dialogue longing expressions if that makes sense right and with those movies those are very poignant in how they express things they need to make sure that you understand what is happening or at least trying to express as much as they can the emotion uh also i would also like to bring up Eraserhead as well that one has like what 12 lines of dialogue or something like yeah, that yeah that's true yeah so now those movies once again they were very poignant this one is a bit more subtle than those movies are uh that could be once again better sure. or for worse for sure. trying to ex- express things i once again i'm saying this is not terribly ingenious it is here and it is i would say necessary but at the same time it yes could have been done a bit better probably because he is inexperienced or because of the lack of budget or things like that could be a number of different things but for what we got from a first-time director i think it is quite impressive that he was able to pull this off with what little he had okay tell me there aren't just scenes in this movie where they're just looking at each other and they're like uh yeah yeah um did you did you know about that I was doing this in New York? Oh, oh really? Um why are you doing that? I don't know that Yeah, just... there are scenes okay. like that in here. Okay. Yes, you're very you're very correct. <laughs> okay, good. Like I said, it doesn't always work. Right. <laughs> it is there, but from a macro level I think it does a pretty all right job, but there are definitely details and scenes in here where the point isn't clear enough to really understand what Chazelle was going for. Perhaps that you can, perhaps you can make those distinctions upon an, an more rewatching of this movie, but especially on a first time, it can be pretty hard to pick things up. Sure. Yeah. And you gotta be um, dedicated though, to go back for a rewatch to a movie. There has to be something there. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe there is something there, but, and, and no, okay. Don't get me wrong. There are some really good sequences in this movie. But I gotta say, we're into the movie, and I'm disappointed. I was expecting a little more for this movie. I was expecting a bit more meat to this movie. And uh, honestly, I wanted to start email surfing. I did do a bit of email surfing (laughs) just during Act 2 because I feel like I could look up at any time in this movie, and I really hadn't missed anything. I don't... I feel like we don't have enough yeah, I, progression, I can see that. enough progression character-wise, in order to look up and there to be anything substantial. Or if there is something substantially that has progressed, it's a little confusing. Such as when Elena goes to be with this old man and his daughter. Why? Yeah, that. Well, I said in the summary that is a bit odd, and it is really weird. I mean. I'm trying to figure out a good reason to explain why it's here. I think that is on some level still necessary, but at the same time, the way that it's executed is v- quite strange to say the least. And is this a guy named Paul? Yes, this is Paul. So he must be a relation to Chazelle because his name is Bernard Chazelle. Right. I I mean, I would assume that it's his dad, uh, Damien Chazelle's dad. I have no confirmation of yeah. that. Uh, but I'm assuming it's definitely someone of relation, but maybe even his dad. I would maybe uncle. I don't know. It, I couldn't really tell. Okay, and now help me understand. Why does Guy want to find Madeline all of a sudden? 
So, okay, there is a scene where it kind of begins to signify that Elena may not be the one for Guy. That's the scene when, uh, I guess it would be the, uh, how do I explain this? The oven scene. She can't figure out how to turn on the oven and goes through some serious trouble to try and get it <laughs> on. And then one of his friends comes over and says, oh, yeah, you just got to plug it in. Um, <laughs> from that scene, really on until the last time we see Elena, Guy is kind of, he has... Uh, differing opinions than what he used to about Elena and kind of realizes because she doesn't really and that and the scene when he plays the trumpet and is practicing and she comes in and says why are you practicing this early in the morning <laughs> and this, these are scenes that kind of go to show that there's an opposition there she doesn't really like music as much as he does which is his passion this is something that he is definitely passionate about and so when this scene comes up and well, I guess both these scenes come up, it kind of goes to signify that Elena isn't really the one that he's thinking of and kind of thinks back at the times when him and Madeline were together because she clearly is really excited about music or some, has some passion for it versus Elena, who is the complete opposite. And he begins to kind of feel some difference in the relationship between Elena and wants to go back to the way that things were with Madeline because that is where his love is at, not just with her, but with the fact that she is also very into music as much as he is, which is where his passion's at. There, and so that's kind of what his thought process is at this point. Okay. And it, that does make sense now that you explain it. And I was trying to recall. Uh, so I guess kind of where my issue comes in, though, is the connection between them. I mm-hmm. feel like in the beginning, we see one shot of him teaching her the trumpet. Right. Okay, and we also, she has two musical numbers of her own, so clearly they're both musically inclined. This other lady doesn't like music. Uh, I do like when she goes to lay on the bed and he just like walks in and like does the trumpet blast like real quick and walks out just to kind of yep. antagonize her, push her buttons there. Yep. Um, But I feel like we needed a bit more setup between Guy and Madeline in order for uh, me uh, to be able to believe and justify them getting back together. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, we do get this opening montage to kind of set up the relationship and how it went downhill. Uh, the reason why we find out a bit later after the montage. Um, yeah, I would have enjoyed a little bit more set up with them too. I mean, it's fine that... I, I think it's fine that we don't really have much motivation to go off of except for the fact that he, he, she, they share some of the same passion with with music and stuff. I think that that's pretty fine for this movie. But setting up their relationship and maybe grounding it a bit more as to why he would even want to think about going back to that relationship would have helped a bit with this movie. I don't remember the reason for them breaking up. Is it just because he? Well, okay, maybe I do understand it. I understand at probably at least at one person's life. In, in their relationship, in I don't know which relationship, but any relationship, there's always this twinge. Now, it, it hopefully doesn't stay with the person unless they do need to break up with the other person. But there's always this twinge of, you know, what if I want something different? Or, ooh, different is kind of exciting, and I kind of want to rediscover those feelings again. I think those feelings are uh, usually grounded in immaturity whether the relationship is immature and hasn't fully developed yet or the person has not developed and learned to just kind of settle down or learn to just kind of grow up and put those you know initial feelings aside some people never do 
But I think that's definitely a very relatable um, feeling this movie conveys. So of all the feelings it conveys, I think this is one of the most relatable and most well, it gets the point across. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, for him, it may not may not even be maturity. It just may be that, well, he just wants to try something new. Right. Uh, he's always, I mean, maybe it's because he's always around music or like the summary I said mentioned is that he, the relationship just kind of became a bit stale. And so he kind of wanted to move on. And then later, maybe we'll get to the ending part, but maybe there was something that sparked it again that got them back in together or whatever. It could be a number of different things. It may not even just be limited to immaturity. Although I think that maturity is a big theme in this movie uh, and growing up and learning that the things that you need or the things that you love or the things that you're passionate about, it should be your motivation, things like that. That's what the main theme of this whole movie is. And yeah, I would say that that this scene and that idea that he, that, that you just mentioned, I think is one of the best parts of this movie is that even though there is never once really brought up specifically in terms of like dialogue or things like that, it, things like that, I think that it's told visually guy and his reactions towards Elena or reactions towards the breakup, things like that. I think that it, even though this movie doesn't really outward, outwardly say it, it does portray the inner feelings of Guy to a pretty good degree in terms of what he's feeling about this relationship with Madeline and then again with uh, with Elena. Yes, I would agree with that. The The one thing that, that I do feel is underdeveloped is the character of uh, Madeline. Uh, we just get little developments. We understand she kind of feels like she has kind of this pointless life. She's a dishwasher. She's a grown up. What is she going to do with, uh, with her life? And, uh, we get her final singing sequence, which I think for the most part does work. I like the dance moves for the most part and her singing and the, the, uh, I mean, the lyrics are simple, but that really doesn't matter very much. Um, we are, we do have some very silly and I guess I would say almost hokey, uh, amateur aspects to this, um, dance sequence with a guy shaking the jars. Yeah. I mean, that just got silly. I mean, then it just takes you out of it and makes it, and some of this almost looks like an amateur, uh, YouTube video that somebody kind of threw together with. The people doing their old-timey dance moves on the top of the tables, swinging their arms and legs back and forth in the jars. So I think it goes on a little too long and kind of uh, kind of trips along the way. But like I said, I do like the singing sequences. Yeah, I think of... Well, okay, of the three, technically, th- maybe even four, uh, dance sequences or musical sequences that we have in this movie this is definitely one of the better ones i think the best one would have been when during the recording the one that you had a, that you were confused about with the tap dancing and then him playing the trumpet in the in the other room i think that one is the best i think that this one is probably the second best although it does get a bit hokey there towards the end i think mainly because madeline's singing is kind of is there but it also takes it takes the back seat to when it comes to tap dancing, which I think is very impressive, especially for a movie of this caliber and how everything is very choreographed, very specifically. There is some, once again, some slip ups, maybe once or twice here and there. The guy shaking the jar is pretty funny. Uh, it's kind of weird that it's in this movie. There are a couple of things that kind of are a bit awkward, but at the same time, for what Damien Chazelle was going for and what he was able to pull off, I think is very impressive in its own right. 
although there are some amateurish things here and really throughout this whole movie that are there that really shouldn't be they, they shouldn't be discounted because he is not as experienced but i think that for what he is able to do and what he has a passion to do and what his dream is being to go being able to go this far with it i think is extremely impressive especially this tap dancing scene with all the choreography that is involved and all sorts of like that. I think for what he's able to do is very impressive compared to what he probably only could have done had he not tried as hard as he did. Sure. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely give him that with what he's working with here and for his first attempt. You can see that he is passionate about what he's crafting here on screen and trying to convey to the audience. I just wish that um, Madeline and the actress who portrays her, I wish she was more passionate about her singing. Her facial expressions are just, they don't get me into the musical number, although I am enjoying the music, the mm-hmm. the score, you know, the, the dancing for the most part. Her voice, it just all seems just kind of like she's almost going through the motion in certain parts of it. I just don't see her really invested. Like I love singing. This is my passion. It's just mostly kind of a blank expression of her singing. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Now, before we go too far, we've kind of mentioned it, especially here and here in pieces. We have to talk about the music of this movie because that's for me, the biggest thing, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why this movie exists is partly or mostly because of the music. And to be to be completely honest, I think the music here is pretty fantastic. Now, it's pretty fan- once again the music the uh, the singing I think is it's there and for the especially with Madeline it's not f- fantastic, if it's not really all that great, but from a macro level, once again, looking back on it, I would I would want to buy this soundtrack, and I'm actually highly considering it because it really is that well composed. And I think that's definitely tuned to Justin Hurwitz, who even goes on to do even bigger, bigger and better things with what he's with his own uh, talents and what he's able to do. I think the music here is really, really good, and it's part of Damien Chazelle with Whiplash, and then again with Cowboy Bebop, which is the two main reasons why I even got to liking jazz in the first place. And because, even though that isn't this movie, uh, because of that, Damien Chazelle introducing jazz in this kind of a way, I think is very impressive. Once again, I didn't see this before I saw Whiplash. It was Whiplash, the one that really got me into jazz. But seeing where his roots came from, from his very first movie, is, is also very interesting to me. It is interesting that Chazelle is so into jazz, with his first three movies being about jazz, with each building upon the other with mm-hmm. how they look at different instruments that are used by jazz musicians and how those characters, what those instruments mean to those characters with this one, it's clearly a trumpet. And yeah, I don't have any complaints with this score at all. It is so well done. And I'm going to say it's the best part of this movie. It, I would say makes this movie better than what it would be without it. Absolutely. In many ways, it is, uh, I would say, almost just a little haunting in a good way, Um, especially that main theme where it makes it so memorable in that kind of um, haunting just uh, way that really uh, just kind of like pulls you in to this black and white world. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know. I I give it really high praise and I don't have anything um, wrong with it. One I would definitely listen to over again and i told you my descriptor for it 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 gives me kind of like 
you're walking along this by the river in Paris at night with the lamps lit and it's maybe slightly foggy and it's very wistful and you can feel this cool breeze and uh, you can maybe smell some bread or something baking. Um, Very cool. Uh, It's kind of, it's kind of funny because um, for the uh, written review that I have for the title, I always try to put something a little funny at the top, something meets something, and I put uh, Eraserhead meets Ratatouille. That's funny. Now, I guess I can see it. It is very French. Yeah, it's not completely either of those movies whatsoever. I'm just trying yeah. to be a little facetious with how I uh, present that. But right. uh, I love both of those movies and kind of bringing some of those elements here together, I think really works and especially comes through with the music. So uh, once we do get towards the end here, I-, I think we can kind of talk about it unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up. Well, I'll, I'll just can more or less just agree with you with the music is the best part of this movie. It definitely is. And without the music being here, the movie would be uh, pretty mediocre to say the least. Yes. And absolutely. I think the fact that the jazz sequences for the most part are all played live really sells the fact, at least really sells this handheld very gritty or not really great not really gritty but more realistic style of filmmaking especially with those live performances i think that that really helps sell that i think that justin hurwitz as being his first score for a movie that i'm fully aware on that i'm aware of has a fantastic job and yeah if anything at least go listen to the soundtrack because it is good by the way uh the opening overture of this movie is very reminiscent to a couple of tunes in La La Land. Did you pick that up at all? I did pick that up. I um, not just uh, musically, but also aesthetically. Yes, yes, and clearly La La Land. I mean, we'll talk about that in a, in a bit later. But La La Land was pretty inspired by this movie, which is his first. And at first, I was a bit afraid because I was just like, I really hope this isn't just a La La Land, like the precursor to La La Land. That is more or less what it. What it backed off of um in terms of la la land but it ended up not being that way and being something quite different which is great yeah. yes there are definitely you can see the seeds of la la land oh, being yeah. sown already in chazelle's mind what he's going to do because clearly there's these are like two star-crossed lovers one is a jazz musician the other is just kind of a day laborer um madeline works in a kitchen the other one works as a waitress in la la land and yeah, it's those are very reminiscent and very similar in their styles, but ultimately quite different in their execution and right. conclusions and ultimately what happens. But I would say very much in many ways, um, this is kind of almost kind of a, the conception of La La Land, just taking roots. Absolutely. Like I said, it's a bit of the seed is planted and then we'll see what Chazelle can do later on. I really right. want to say more and talk about that, but we will save that for the Law Land discussion. You have to hold back restraint. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, but yeah, they finally finally come together. The uh, seemingly star-crossed lovers find each other per chance, which kind of plays into the whole star-crossed thing of it. They just come together. They see each other on the street. They go back to her, her apartment and just kind of talking about how she's moving away and he's like oh well that that makes me sad and then he plays this musical number for her where i like how he says can i play this for you it won't take long and 
he doesn't really wait for her reply. He really just wants to do it for her to show her his passion for music. He's been working on this and um, see what that can do for their relationship. So I do really like this sequence. I was surprised to see the movie just ended. And I guess my nitpick is the trumpet solo, I feel, goes on a bit long. I can see why you think it's a nitpick. Personally, I think it goes on for just the right amount, partly because I'm a trumpet. I was a, well, I was a trumpet player before ah. I stopped playing because I was in the marching band and they can't give me a scholarship if I want to do half a semester or half truth, a year. Truth comes out, Alan's biased. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but no, this is a very good trumpet solo and even impresses me even more knowing that it's most likely, if not, if not it is, played live for this one scene. And it goes on for quite a long time and it's quite impressive that they got all one shot. I think that's very, very impressive. And I love the fact that this movie ends without a clear answer. It ends, the question like I raised in the summary is, are they going to get back together or are they not going to get back together? Because the answer, because the tie between the two of them is music, which is evident by the trumpet solo and that it came from Guy and that he more or less wrote it for her. And it crafts this really interesting question of, are they going to get back together? And before the movie has a time to answer that, it ends. And it kind of just leaves it up to the audience to imagine or think of, or I guess create their own ending as to where the story goes from there. Which I really, really enjoy for a movie that's built around uh, that's built around music and things like this. And it's kind of interesting because, as stated in. I guess La La Land is a line in there where it is stated that jazz, especially live jazz, is very unique because it may be the only time you ever hear that tune. For the most part, especially with those who are very experienced with jazz, it's kind of made up on the spot, which kind of ties into the the audience. Whereas if that's true uh, because of jazz, then we can think of it as as the movie. We can make up our own ending and that would be unique to us. I just find that to be very, very interesting. The trumpet solo is great. I really, really enjoy it, partly because I am biased. But I think that the ending of this is one of the strongest parts of this movie, maybe second to the music itself. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point about jazz. And I learned this from La La Land about the flow of jazz. And Mm -hmm. kind of the flow of the movie is structured in a similar way in... The jazz musician may make up their own ending depending on how he feels the set is going. And the movie does that for us as well. So I don't have any problems with that. I think the ambiguous ending, letting it be up to us, is probably the right choice uh, for these characters. How do we interpret these characters or how would we kind of interpret that into our own lives? And I will say I think that those who are more musically inclined, whether they... uh, play jazz or have played an instrument or just listen to it and they're more of a jazz enthusiast uh, i think they will as it seems to be the case with alan be a little more connected with this movie because you do have that real world connection that you can completely relate to whereas i i mean i like um my sleepy time jazz uh before bed sometimes <laughs> And uh, I couldn't couldn't make a tune on the trumpet. I tried and I couldn't figure out how to puff the air through it. So I didn't have as much of a connection with that. So I can see if you're if you're more on that musical inclination than you would be more relating to this movie. Right, right. 
So, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Guy and Madeline on a park bench? If anything's evident from my own personal experience from this movie, it's very inspiring to me. Um, Now, let me just put it this way. That way I can kind of get you into what I'm thinking. Because every year my cousins and I make a video, right? That's just what we do. We It's not necessarily anything worth talking about. It this something that we're doing, or it's something that we do do on a on basically a yearly basis. Well, this last year we've been really what you would consider to be. Uh, we've been really focused on making something that's actually competent and actually worth something. Because before this has always been just whatever we make up on the spot, right? But now that we're getting kind of serious about it, and I see movie like this where the director is taking whatever he can to make this movie into a reality is very inspiring for me personally. And that, and having this, having this ending where it is very ambiguous and having a movie that is very visually story, visual storytelling, but really plays up the music, especially with this, especially with jazz and how it relates to our own lives and how it relates to love and all sorts of like that is very, very inspiring and very impressive, uh, especially with the ideas that Chazelle was able to get across. But that comes with some caveats because this is quite an amateur movie. Some sometimes the aesthetic doesn't always work with the movie with its own self very well. Sometimes the audio is kind of wonky. The singing isn't all that great. There's a couple of lines of dialogue there towards the end when she's being told to take out the trash, where it feels very amateur and. Feels like more like something I would make than considered to be what he would something that an experienced filmmaker who's gone through film school would make. There are some serious issues here. Or I guess maybe not serious, but there are issues here in terms of filmmaking. And part of that is because he isn't experienced or he doesn't have the budget for it. Bottom line, though, it is still a movie that I find to be very inspiring for my own personal my own personal life. And that I really, really enjoy. And I've now that I've seen Damien Chazelle where he began and how far he's come, that is beyond something that maybe I'm even able to do, but having that dream or seeing that it is a, that it can be a, that it can happen through a man's filmmaking is very interesting to me and well become a filmmaker. Who knows? Probably not. But the fact that he was able to do this on such a low budget is very inspiring to me. The issues are still there and they are still very prevalent, but what he was able to get away with, I think is very, very interesting. That being said, I'm going to give this a seven out of 10 with a pretty high recommend most n- regular moviegoers probably won't like it, but filmmakers, I think, will, f- those who are really big, avid filmgoers like you and I are, I think they should at least watch it once to show that even though a film is, even though it doesn't have all as much talent or as much money behind it as a lot of other films do, it is still something that is very competent from somebody who is just fresh out of film school and to make something that it becomes as popular as it is now, or at least as, as as accessible as it is now. Yes, I would agree, especially with that last statement, that this is a very good example of a first foray into cinema that shows what a person's talent can do. And uh, it's very admirable, and I do love seeing his uh, passion uh, come out on screen here. So for that reason alone, yes, I can agree, especially with that last statement. But as far as a legitimate movie going experience that you can sit down and 
connect with, track with from start to finish, enjoy. I think that's a bit of a different issue. Uh, I feel at times the camera work captures the feel of an old documentary, uh, kind of lending to this realism in the film. Uh, My highest praise comes from, it's for the score, especially the main theme, which is nothing short of amazing. The score is inventive, embodying moods of melancholia in this black and white world while simultaneously being uplifting. There are a few dance numbers that are fun, but they do falter from either going on too long or having moments of corniness. The acting is subpar, the camera work is far too shaky at times, and ultimately, I feel this movie is empty. This is not what I expected from Chazelle's first directorial and screenwriting outing, so in that respect, having the foreknowledge of La La Land and Whiplash, I am disappointed that this movie didn't bring uh, more emotion and emphasis because those movies are just so amazing and emotional. Uh, So Guy and Madeline on a park bench for me receives four stars out of 10 with a solid not recommend. Uh, Listeners, I do encourage you, if you are passionate about filmmaking, then this is probably a good movie for you to watch, like Alan said. But for those of you that just really aren't, I encourage you to just listen to the soundtrack and watch a few clips on YouTube if you feel the need to taste Chazelle's first foray into cinema. Yeah, and I mean, like it's like we, I guess now you just mentioned, and we both have said this, that it's not really a movie for everyone. That's kind of just the blatant truth. It is a bit harder to get your hands on because it's not really on a physical medium. You can get a DVD of it, but you're going to be more likely to find it on iTunes or maybe even rent it from somewhere else, uh, maybe from uh, Netflix to find it that way, it's kind of hard to find. It's not a very popular movie, but it is impressive that it was able to get this level of release somehow out, out on the web, most likely. It is, to me, it is still very impressive. There are still critiques that should be made that we did talk about. But for me personally, this is a movie that I, that really is the very, at the very end of the day, just more or less just says I can, which is very inspiring to me personally. Sure. Uh, though I still recognize that there are filmmaking issues. There are more amateur things here that Chazelle does get over. I can say that for a fact, but they are here. And I do have to count into that, that those do exist in this movie and they do go against it as much as they go yes. with it. Absolutely. Uh, I guess also just temper your expectations, though, because like we mentioned earlier in the trailer, hopefully now you can see why I feel the way that I do. The trailer builds this up to be an independent masterpiece, first time director. uh, Just you can't even grasp how inventive and wonderful this is. And I guess in some ways, yes, that's true. But to the degree that it's played up in the trailer, I just... I, I just guess I don't really appreciate that, and that's where I feel like it really does uh, – it threw me off, to say the least. Yeah, this is this is a movie where, especially with what Chazelle has done before, you have to go in with expectations of this is his first movie. This is not something that you're going to see from La La Land or Whiplash. It's going to be quite amateur because of that. Uh, I had some notion that it wasn't going to be like those two movies, which is why I kind of went with when I tried to go in as with as an open mind as I possibly could because I didn't know where it was going to be. Uh, th- once again, there are things in here that I that are not great, but 
clearly you and I are on two different ends of the spectrum here with how we with, with what we think of this movie. And that's down to how it impacts us as a person. Right. Just in general. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we uh we pretty much agree on the kind of the writing and technical aspects. I think it's just how did we connect to it as a person uh, right. because of the different aspects of each of our lives. I think that's really where we came down to feeling differently, which is definitely okay and definitely makes sense because, yeah, some people, I, I guess I shouldn't knock those reviewers in the trailer because they may legitimately feel that way. And people who feel the opposite way and they don't find, uh, they, they recognize the positive elements, but kind of just feel like this movie doesn't offer a whole lot for them to enjoy or even come back to. I feel like that's is warranted as well. So I'm not trying to put down either side. I'm not trying to come across that way. Right. But I am quite excited to review Whiplash because I only saw it once with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm a- I remember when we watched it, uh, I remember you almost freaked out because of how intense it got. I'm, I've seen it... Uh, mm. How many times have I seen this? Pretty close to six times. Wow. Same with La La Land. I've seen both of these a lot. Oh, wow. So we'll talk about why and when we get there. So Alan is definitely not the newbie when it comes to this. I am. I've seen Whiplash once, like I said, and I've seen La La Land at least twice now. And it's been, I haven't seen it since when it was up for the Oscar anyway. So it's been a few years now. But I'm excited to return to them. Yeah, I remember Whiplash got to be so intense. I was about to have a panic attack. (laughs) uh, I'm going to save my thoughts on the end um, and the redemption the movie features and how I kind of experienced that at the time. And I'm I'm interested to see what I think of it coming back to it after a few years. But Mm -hmm. we want to say thank you listeners for joining us on our first installment in our Chazelle retrospective series. We will be coming back next week with Whiplash, and then the week after that with La La Land, leading up to uh, First Man, which I have not seen any footage for. I just know it's Chazelle's first non-musical theatrical movie. So I'm quite excited for that as well. Make sure to... Stay tuned for all of those, and the best way to do that is to follow us through social media. We've made that very easy for you. Just look in the description below, and you will have all the links right there for you to just click on and subscribe to, and you'll see the first one is uh, if you help support us just with a small donation, less than a cup of coffee, honestly, then you get a lot that you can hold on to. A cup of coffee you drink, and it's gone, but we're what we're giving you over there on our uh, patron page uh, really does support and help us out a lot so if you enjoyed this just consider going over there getting a small donation and you'll get some great content back in return just to show you how much we appreciate you and uh, how much we love talking about movies we love talking about them with you so make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you can uh, stay up to date with the rest of the episodes go back in the archives and we've got a ton of retrospectives from you know, pretty much every genre you can think of, honestly. Uh, I think this is our first foray into a, a musical. Yeah, I mean, technically, we did briefly talk about La La Land when we did our, what was it? I think it was the Oscar discussion. Right. We didn't um, really review back in those it, though. Days. Yeah, we briefly, yeah, we briefly talked about it, but we never really, we, I think we even stated that we would love to get into, give it the 
SSG formula. Yeah. When we recorded that part and we talked about maybe someday, maybe someday we'll do it. And someday is just in a few weeks. It's pretty much here. Mm-hmm. So once again, thank you so much listeners for joining us on this. Share it with your friends. If you enjoy it, leave a five-star review. Uh, that does help us get recognized on iTunes so more people can enjoy it as well. Thank you so much. And once again, we will catch you next time.